This is WTWW, and this is only a test. And you're listening to frequency 9990 kilohertz. You are invited to share the magic of HF broadcasting and amateur radio to a worldwide listening audience. Welcome. This is the QSO Radio Show. Give us a call now at 615-547-9520 and share with a huge global radio audience. That's 615-547-9520. And now, the QSO Radio Show with Ted Randall. Well, I guess we uh, we named this one right. <laughs> this is only a test. Oh, boy, I'll tell you what. I've got somebody on the phone, though, and I'm going to see if... Uh... Hello there. Are you with me? Well, we'll try this one. Are you with me? Hello there. Yes, this is this is WB0AEA. Hello there, WB0AEA. And uh, where are you calling from? Lincoln, Nebraska. I see. Are we... Are we coming in on your radio? <laughs> I tuned. I tuned it down because I know you don't want any feedback. Well, there you go. Well, tell yeah, me. Tell I, I, I turned it down. That is. Tell me a little bit about your uh, your your ham radio venture. What are, what are, what kind of what part of the hobby are you into? Oh, I like. Uh, I have just an attic antenna, but I'm able to talk all over the world. I talked to uh, Old Tasmania with uh, 100 watts through. Uh, through a single side band on 20 meters, the 14 megahertz band, and uh, and uh, well, I, I enjoy all the aspects. I talk around the state on uh, on the lower frequencies, uh, 75 meter band and 160 meter band on the statewide nets. And I uh, got started in 1969 with a one tube transmitter. And I'm lucky I never electrocuted myself. I wouldn't recommend that transmitter to anybody. It was called the Bear Essentials transmitter. It was pretty dangerous, but <laughs> I used a, a, a voltage doubler in the uh, power supply. I built on a piece of wood, and, uh, 50C5 tube, ACDC radio tube, and uh, and I uh, was able to work down to Arkansas and up into North Dakota with it on, on the 40 meter band on, on Morris Code CW. And uh, that was back in 1969, last, last part of 1969 and through 1970. And I got the general and the advanced ticket. I'm still an advanced licensee, and uh, and uh, I haven't upgraded to extra. I just kind of keep the advanced kind of a novelty, I guess you'd say, because you had to take Morse code to, to get the general to take be able to take the advanced. It's no longer you can no longer get an advanced license. You can no longer take the test for an advanced license. You have to either take a well, now let me, a general or an extra. Let me ask you a question. Are you active uh, in a club out there? Well, yeah, like the Amateur Radio Club. It's a very good club here in Lincoln, Nebraska. We we, uh, we do storm spotting and uh, and uh, oh, uh, all kinds of activities. We uh, that's our main activity is storm spotting, and we have a program every month where we uh, have either a technical presentation or a public service presentation by some. Some official here in, in the in the city or state that that we work with, something like that. And but, uh, uh, well, I, at this point in time, um, your your focus on the hobby. What what do you enjoy the most? Oh, well, I have to still say the DX. I probably enjoy the most when I work a station in a foreign country with just my hundred watts and attic attic wire antenna. What one hundred watts and a attic antenna. And yep, that's correct. Then you're working. I get, to, 
Yeah, DX, Tasmania, Europe, uh, Tasmania or Australia or New Zealand. I, I can work there fairly consistently on 20 meters or 15 meters. And 10 meters, I could probably do it right now, but I haven't. Or, or, or if the sunspots get stronger again or get more of them again, I could probably do it do it then on uh, on 10 meters. But uh, but I I, uh, I just haven't tried it lately. 10. Meters. I got a, I've got a friend of mine. So flux is down right now. Uh, a friend of mine is a radio engineer up in uh, Detroit. Fellow's name is Greg Erbiel, and I just got an email from him. I think it was yesterday or the day before, saying that he's doing a lot of work. I guess forty meters CW with an attic antenna. It'd be interesting to yeah. find out how many people run attic antennas. You know, these the Home Builders Association uh, and all these different <laughs> neighborhood associations and all that That's kind correct. of stuff. You you can't hardly do anything sometimes in these neighborhoods. You can't put anything up. So uh, yeah, we have a, we have a covenant here, of course, in the in the, in the townhouse. I'm on the townhouse association board here in here in Lincoln, or here here at the townhouse that I live in, the townhouse uh, uh, group, or what do you call it, townhouse? Well, our townhouse neighborhood here, townhouse complex, I guess is what you call it. Well, I, I appreciate your phone call, and sure. I think, thank you for checking in. Once again, we got started a little late due to. Some technical problems, but that's solved, and I guess we're going to be we'll be moving along with this radio show called "This Is Only a Test." <laughs> and, yeah, uh, we so your signal's coming in. Your signal's coming in really well in the Lincoln. Uh, uh, I'm just using an Emerson uh, uh, multi-band radio. It's nothing really uh, fancy, but just I'm using the telescopic antenna on it right now and picking you up real well. well. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sure. Well, thank you. Give us a call now at 615-547-9520 and share with a huge global radio audience. That's 615-547-9520. And now, back to the QSO Radio Show with Ted Randall. All righty, on the telephone with me here is Mike. Hello, Mike. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing real good. Where, where are you located? Okay, I'm in Aventura, Florida, which is north of Miami Beach. I'm a blind ham operator. I, I have my technical license. My core sign is Kilo Golf 4, Uniform Kilo Bravo, and uh, I love ham, even though it's kind of uh, difficult for me. I hope to be passing my general class license in the near future, and uh, I love DXing, and uh, I love your radio station. I hope when you get when you go fully uh, on the air. I hope you go more rock and roll. <laughs> oh, you'll be, we hope we go more rock and roll when we go on. Well, right. Uh, and right now, let me ask you a question: Are you are you a member of a local club in your area? No, I'm not. Okay. Well, now, anybody in your area, they ought to. You, you got a club down there. You ought to snag this guy now because uh, <laughs> he's he's available. Got his license and. Uh, he needs to be involved with a, with a local club. What what is your? I mean, right now, what's your what what aspect of ham radio intrigues you the most, or what do you find uh, irresistible or the most uh, interesting? Well, I like talking. I like talking DX when the weather's good. I just moved to a new place, and I'm always looking to find uh, a lot of distance stations. I haven't found too many. When I go up north, I take my radio with me. To different places. Okay, now we're just out of curiosity. Where where do you go up north? Uh, 
I go to Omaha. I go to the National Radio Club conventions. And uh, I suppose you enjoy that an awful lot. I do. Well, listen, I want to thank you very much for calling. And uh, okay. you, you, you hang in there and stay with the hobby and okay. uh, study, get, you know, upgrade and do all the things and, and get involved in some different aspects of it. You'll, uh, you're, you're really going to enjoy this hobby. And uh, okay, by the way, I want to mention the thing, too, is that is you may want to look up, if you haven't looked them up yet or if you don't know anything about them, you might want to look up the folks that call themselves Handy Hams. Oh, and I'm familiar with them. You are. Okay, well, very good, yeah. because they're a good group of folks. Right. Oh, they sure are. All righty. Well, thank you for calling, sir. Okay, keep up the good work. There you go, Bert Comfort, and uh, that's, uh, if you remember, that swinging Safari song from a long time ago. And I want to say hello to John. He's on the phone with me here. How you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty well. And I got a uh, really nice signal from you here on your 9990. Okay, and you're located in? I'm actually uh, 15 miles south of Jacksonville, Florida, in uh, Orange Park, but I'm actually outside the Orange Park town limit. limit. I see. And you, what are you listening on? I've got, uh, I'm a DXer, so I've just got a uh, C-Crane uh, CCSW uh, radio, table radio, and it's uh, it's a great radio. Uh, it's got three shortwave bands and all my life, I've just liked to tune around and listen to things. So you you got us going. <laughs> so are, are you are you a radio amateur? Uh, I've never been an amateur. I've always been a DXer. I I never could master the code in my uh, younger years. Uh, I tried a couple of times, but uh, never never quite could get it. Uh, always wanted to, but I've always been a DXer. I had shortwave radios and, uh, and various other kinds of radios to to listen worldwide and have enjoyed that i've always been a heavy uh amdxer well that's a i'll tell you it's an incredible hobby uh for folks that are that are not into ham radio uh the, the it's an incredible hobby shortwave listening and there's, there's literally thousands and thousands of people out there that listen to shortwave radio as a hobby and they're always trying to snag a new uh, a new country or hearing something that they haven't heard before and uh, it, it's just an amazing hobby to sit there in your in your living room or your bedroom and, and, and turn that rig on and hear the stuff come in from all over the world. And, uh, yeah, my wife and I, we have a rural acre, and I got out in the uh, middle of it about two Sundays ago, and a quick uh, signal report, I heard a guy on uh, 214.25, uh, and he was north of Fargo, uh, North Dakota, and he was talking to another guy um, in um, Vermont. I didn't get the exact location in Vermont. And these guys were chatting back and forth, back and forth for a couple of hours. It was pretty neat to listen to them. I was surprised that I heard them down here. Well, you, know, it's, you never know what's going to come in. You know, in different frequencies now. Of course, we got we got some solar activity, so that makes it even more interesting. Uh, there yeah, for a while with the, with a minimum amount of solar activity, it, it, we were scratching our head wondering, are we ever going to see a sunspot again? <laughs> but it started happening. So, uh, well, listen, I thank you much for calling. I appreciate your phone call. You keep listening to us, and um, you just have a have sure a good. Will. Got you on the preset. All right, have a good evening, sir. All right, thank you. Bye bye. Well, you're listening to the QSO Radio Show. We're coming to you over WTWW. And we're just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, in a community called uh, Lebanon, Tennessee. 
And uh, the name of this program is This Is Only a Test, okay? <laughs> and with me on the telephone is uh, Jeremy. How you doing there? Good. And you're you're located in? East Lansing, Michigan. East Lansing. Okay, well, uh, Lansing's the capital of the state. And how, how are things going in your direction today? Is it is it cold there? Oh, yes. 19 degrees in for the coordinates. If anybody's... If anybody wants to look, about forty-three north and eighty-five west. All righty. So, are you, you are a ham? Yeah. Okay. And what's your call sign? KB8FQH. KB8SQH. No, it, Fox F. FQH. Okay, FQH. What? Uh, what's your? I mean, what do you? What do you love about the hobby? What is it? Oh that, my goodness! Oh, it's just so wonderful. This. Um, Listening to the stations from everywhere, from um, and getting all different perspectives from everywhere. You know that is something you do get with with ham radio. You talk to so many different people that. Uh, well, actually, I'm talking about shortwave too. Oh, shortwave radio. Well, yeah. of course, you get different perspectives there as far as uh, uh, you know news and interpretation of events and that sort of thing. Because you hear things coming in from different parts of the world, it's always different. But uh, even an amateur radio, you get on amateur radio and you'll hear people on the air that have different perspectives that come from different walks of life, have different right. professions, and it just covers a whole gamut. So what, uh, what, what, I mean, are you, are you currently active right now? No. No? And, uh... No, I, I, I'm, I'm looking for a radio. You're looking for a radio. Okay, well, <laughs> that's, that sounds good. Maybe, uh, I'll, maybe I'll find one that's a date and, um... Best. You got. You're going. You're going to go to Dayton. I'm thinking about it. Oh, that's a, that's a ham fest. I'll tell you. That's the that's the granddaddy. If you if you go to Dayton, you'll have to look us up because we'll we'll be there. We usually broadcast live from Dayton every year, and uh, we have a lot of fun doing that. So, what are you what are you listening on right now? Glendale gets 450. I see. We've got a decent signal up there in Lansing. Yep. Well, that's that's good. Well, you want to keep warm now. You're up there in that cold country. We're not. We're we're, we're just outside of Nashville. It's not quite that cold here. It's a little chilly, but not like that. And uh, we really appreciate you you calling us and talking to us. And uh, so you've coordinated your schedules with with WWCR, huh? Uh, no, not really. No, this station uh, is not coordinated with uh, with any other affili- affiliated stations. Where we are. Well, I mean, like, I mean, like, wouldn't wouldn't there be a lot of um, interference. If, um, but you, but you're not going to be on the same um, on the same schedule as they are because they're in Nashville too. Right. Yeah. But we're all on different frequencies, so it doesn't really matter. We can we can broadcast anytime we want to. We're on different channels. You know, if you want to call it that, different frequencies. So right, we're not... so, so close together, though. So I was just wondering. Yeah, well, you know, that is a little close, but really when you get right down to it, it's really not that close. In other words, we're clear across town. We are, we're a pretty good little ways from them. And on top of that, there's another uh, group of shortwave stations, a uh, group of transmitters, I should say, here in Tennessee, too. So there's actually three groups. Well, well, why is why is Tennessee so uh, popular for um, shortwave? For shortwave? Because we, we just love shortwave. <laughs> <laughs> we love shortwave. <laughs> no, I don't know. They're that well. They ought to be everywhere. Yeah, you should. So what, have... what, what will the programming on the the new transmitter be? Well, we we don't know yet. You know, you put one of these things on the air, and you just have to wait and see who 
who comes along and wants to purchase time, you know, because you got to pay the electric bill. Is there, are you getting a lot of um, a lot of mail from your um, twelve point one station? Uh, I, I believe they are getting a considerable amount of mail on that station. Uh, I I'm not involved in in the mail part of it. You know, give us a call now. It's six- hey, sorry about that. I just hit a button accidentally. No, I'm not in. I'm not um. I'm not involved in, in getting the actual snail mail from that station or the email, either one. But I understand the activity is really good. We have a lot of people listening to that. A lot of folks listening. Um, well, sir, I'm gonna, I want to I'm gonna let you go, and I thank okay. you for calling. And uh, yep. you keep listening, and like I said, keep warm up there in, in Michigan. Okay. All righty. This is only a test. <laughs> Afternoon delight. You're listening to QSO, and this is radio station. WTWW, located just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, uh, in Lebanon, Tennessee. And incidentally, I want to tell you, if you're listening and you're calling in, even if you call in, be sure and shoot us an email. And you can do that. Just go to tedrandall.com. There's a place up there, qsoradioshow.com. That works. There's a place up there to send us an email, or you can just send send it to me if you want to, tedrandall at tedrandall.com. But be sure and put on the email, I want to win, because we want to we enter you into a contest where you may win something. So well, uh, let's do that. And I've got somebody on the phone here with me. Hello there. Hello. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. And where are you located, and, and who am I speaking to? This is Stephen. I'm in Greenville, South Carolina, right over the hills from you. Greenville, South Carolina, down near the uh, the Voice of America. Greenville, South Carolina. Greenville, North Carolina is the Voice of America. Oh, that's right. And I got the wrong Carolina. So, I, so uh, <laughs> it's just... Yeah, we're a considerable distance from them. Uh-huh. Okay, well, tell me, how, how is your weather there today, sir? Right and sunny and a little chilly. And uh, I, mean, I guess I want to say, what, uh, what part of the hobby are you... Uh, are you into and and what what give me a little background in your ham radio career? Well, I I um, got a novice in 1965. It was WN4AYY, but I never did convert to a general. <clears throat> it was uh, like seven years later I got my advanced. I just went, when I finally learned to go 13 word from any code, I just went straight on to an advanced, and I kept that up until about 2000 when I let it lapse. Then, about three years ago. I went in and discovered, you know, hey, they dropped the code requirements, so I went and took the extra exam, and now I'm an extra. So you're now a, you're now an extra, and and what is it that your your favorite stuff? What are you into about as far as the hobby is concerned? Well, uh, I like uh, uh, construction repair. Uh, uh, right now, in fact, the reason I picked up the program is I was aligning a vintage radio. And I happened to pick up uh, 9990 right there on the shortwave band as I was getting this, getting this uh, old Stromberg Carlson realigned. Really? I picked it. Yes. So <laughs> I've got two radios tuned on right now. One is this, this the Stromberg Carlson 1121 HW, which was dates from 1946. Uh, it got my eye because it has the two FM bands. It has the old original Armstrong band from 42 to 50 megahertz, and it's got the new one. From uh, 188 to 108, uh, and it's they're both labeled in channel numbers, not in frequencies. Well, now I remember when I was a kid, uh, my mom and dad had a floor standing Stromberg Carlson. I guess back then, I don't know if they would have called them entertainment centers back then, but I mean, had a 
a 78 RPM record player on it. It had the radio, which had it had uh, FM one and FM two, and That's it was and it was a Stromberg Carlson. I remember very very well. Uh, it was probably in eleven twenty one. Uh, they made they made about eight different models, and uh, all but two of them came with uh, uh, phonographs inside them. And I and remember it. Chassis. I remember on FM it drifted. It had it had quite a little drift <laughs> to it. Yeah, they were not. Uh, it was still somewhat primitive. But um, and that's that's what this this one is not does not have a turntable, but it is a floor standing model. And it's it is a console. That's what they would call them. Well, I, I was a, a, a right about the right age where the the phonograph irritated me because it was only seventy eight RPM, so you couldn't play a forty five on it, and you couldn't play an LP on it. All you could play was seventy eights. <laughs> yeah, because that's the only thing. That's the only game in town in those days. And uh, but that was quite an old radio. I don't know. I, you know, and it's that's one of those things when you're a kid, you have absolutely no memory as to what happened to that thing. But I know, uh, we had we had an old RCA, and I, I do know what happened. It got moved out into the uh, 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 storage room when uh, the television came, and it just sort of went pieces out there. And I would love to have that thing back. It was wow. a beautiful old set. How much uh, amateur radio equipment have you gotten into doing restoring, or do you primarily stay with just? Uh, you know, shortwave radios and things like that. Shortwave radios. But, you know, the radio equipment I've got is, uh, I've got, right now I've got a, a Kenwood TS430S. That's in Rock Hill at the moment where my father is, uh, uh, you know, he's, getting, he's working on getting his codes back. He was a Marine radio operator in World War II. Worked with the code talkers, did a lot of that sort of thing. And uh, he's wanting to uh, learn the code again, so I'm letting him listen to the radio. And I go up there during the week and, uh, and hang out with him, and we uh, copy code together. Well, that's, listen to the other hands talk. That sounds cool. You know, you know, it's interesting too because there's so many folks say, "Well, you know, I I I couldn't get into ham radio when the code was intact, and of course the code was eliminated, and now I hear more and more people saying the code is uh, is alive and well and growing." And I, I know we were at, at Dayton. We were uh, we were next to the Vibroplex people. No, I guess no. It was in in Huntsville. We were next to Vibroplex, and the guy says, "Man," he said, "We're selling more stuff now that it's not a requirement than we were when it was a requirement." You know, but I, you yeah, know, it's they, funny how that works. I, you know, it's maybe a status symbol. You know, to have a Vibroplex sitting there out in front of your rig. You know, yes. <laughs> I have you know, got one of those. I've got one of those uh, uh, vintage Vibroplex bug with the uh, you know generates the. I mean, it actually has the bug logo sticker on it and everything. I, I'm beginning to think that's what it is. It's a status symbol there. And then, of course, when I talked to, I think it was, uh, who was I talking to? Gordon West said that he was selling more of the code training tapes now than he was prior to when it was a requirement. So there you go. I mean, you just you just never know. You just never know. Well, do you do much, uh, do, you, do you operate much in the way of DX at all? Or are you, let me ask you this, are you active in a local club in your area? Yes. Yeah, I'm in the Blue Ridge Amateur Radio Society, and uh, from there I do mostly on uh, get on mostly on the repeater, and the club has a repeater, um, uh, 146-0161, and uh, so I I get on that periodically, and I can get that from Rock Hill and from here. Uh, and uh, as far as getting on HF, I don't have the proper antenna. I was waiting till my house renovations were done. I had to put a new roof on the place, and now that that's all done. I'm going to start. I'm going to start antenna shopping because I need to put up some some sort of good HF antenna. 
There you go. You know, uh, you know, I'm hearing more and more people talk about attic antennas, which is, you know, and I guess that's probably because of the, the homeowners associations that say, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. So people getting very creative with attic antennas. And, uh, that's true. That's, that's true. I could do that here, I suppose. But um, like I think my father-in-law, when he was uh, alive, he's a silent king now, but uh, um, I gathered that's what he had in his attic. Well, he had. I found. I found the coils of wire, which would have been long enough for a two-meter or twenty. Uh, should say twenty-meter dipole. And he was probably using that in his attic. Oh, is he, you, you can do quite a bit with an attic antenna. You just don't realize it. You know. I mean, we're so used to being able to have the freedom of putting antennas up that when you are in a restricted area, sometimes folks get real surprised to what some of these restricted antennas will do. Uh, you know, if they're tuned properly and, uh, you know, especially up about 20 meters and uh, 15, 17 meters with the a little bit slump, you know, smaller, they're not necessarily as big as a 40 meter. But other people run an attic antennas on 40 and having good results. Well, listen, I thank you so much for calling. I appreciate your, uh, your interest, and I invite you to keep listening to us and listen to QSO. And uh, I don't know if you've been up on the website, but if you haven't, I know you said you kind of discovered us tuning by. Uh, QSORadioShow.com is the uh, is the website, and uh, we've got a lot of a lot of the older podcasts up there, a lot of different uh, conversations, a lot of QSOs, a lot of interesting people. So, but we appreciate it, sir. You have a good one. Sure. Thank you. By the way, folks, while you're uh, while you're calling in, uh, be sure and um, you know write us. Get up there and send us an email and put on that email. I want to win because uh, we we want. We want you to win is what we want you to do. This is only a test. That's the name of this radio program. QSO presents it right now on WTWWs. We're testing a brand new transmitter. And uh, we want to say thank you for listening. And thank you for joining us. Give us a call now at 615-547-9520 and share with a huge global radio audience at 615-547-9520. And now, back to the QSO Radio Show with Ted Randall. And calling in from New Jersey, I've got uh, Chris on the phone. Hello there. Hey, how's it going, Ted? Uh, Glad to hear a new transmitter on the air on the shortwave airwaves. Well, uh, not enough of them these days. Well, you and yeah, it's unusual to hear a new one coming on, you know, and saying, "Hey, so we thought we would pull off this this is only a test." <laughs> and uh, and give hams all over and shortwave listeners a chance to call in and just talk about the hobby and things that they love. So tell me a little bit about yourself and uh what uh, what brings you to the shortwaves? Well, it's uh, coming back to the shortwaves for me. I uh, basically got my start in radio probably when I was about seven years old, when an uncle had a a Grundig uh, portable that he had with him in the Peace Corps on the Fiji Islands. And once I got my fingers wrapped around that radio, uh, much to his chagrin by the time I got done spinning all the knobs on it, I was hooked. Uh, So I've, I've been a shortwave listener for years. Although I did take a break between the 80s and uh, I would say about uh, six or seven years ago. And I was uh, a little upset to hear so many of my favorite broadcasters off the air. I was uh, a big fan of monitor radio and, uh, you know, of course, the BBC World Service and everything else. And to hear that a lot of them either weren't uh, broadcasting where I could hear them anymore or went off the air entirely 
was uh, disappointing. But I got my ham radio license in 2007 after years of uh, tinkering with radio. And that renewed my interest in shortwave listening because I had all the gear and uh, the antennas up again uh, to do it. And today I'm listening to you on a QS1R, a Quicksilver. It's a DDC direct down conversion SDR receiver. And uh, it's just, it's it's completely turned the hobby on its ear for me. It's a completely new world. And uh, I really get a lot of enjoyment out of it. I'm, I'm sitting here watching your signal on the spectrum as it goes out. I can see as they're adjusting the transmitters, the symmetry is uh, shifting around on the signal. Uh, I can see the difference uh, in the, the frequency bandwidth, the frequency response when the music is playing versus when you're live on the microphone uh, and have people callers call in, which tends to be wider than when the music's playing. It's uh, a great radio experience. I recommend for anybody at all who doesn't mind fiddling with a computer in conjunction with their radio. Well, you know, George was saying, you know, George is the mastermind behind the radio station, and he said, well, while we're on the air, we want to mess around with this thing and see if we can't get the positive peak modulation higher we want to take the positive peaks up a little bit so uh you may be seeing some of that going on there i don't know <laughs> you know that's the trick with am am radio is to limit the negative peaks you know obviously to the uh negative 100 percent or 99 or 98 percent and then let the positives just go you know through the roof 125 i with the what's a i don't know what the legal limit is today i think it's 125 percent or something like that. But um, years ago, before they put a lid on it, I remember seeing those old volume axes, the old equipment uh, in radio stations, and it would show uh, up to 300% positive peak. I don't think any transmitter was capable of that, but the, the old limiter had that on there. It kind of made I'm you sure wonder. It was quite a, I'm sure it was quite a signature to see on a spectrum, that's for sure. So tell me, uh, what, what uh, on, on your um, in your ham radio world, what uh, what do you enjoy? What are you into? I I like the the sheer vast variety of the hobby. So it, it's very hard to say exactly what I enjoy the most. I I enjoy rag chewing quite a lot. Uh, radio to me is about communicating with people. So the the fundamental thing that I want to accomplish when I make contacts on the air is just to find out about people, find out you know where they are. Uh, what their interests are, find out if we have common interests and discuss them. Uh, so any mode that I work is always oriented towards a, a you know a deeper conversation to to learn about people. So I, I work everything from simplex local communications FM uh, that I work quite heavily. Uh, I work HF bands, uh, phone on sideband. Uh, I dabble in AM, although my station's not really cut out for that at the moment. Uh, I work a lot of digital modes, which is keyboard-to-keyboard text chat, basically, like instant messenger for people who might not be hams or be experienced with it. And uh, I'll have two-hour-long conversations typing keyboard-to-keyboard with people all over the world. And uh, that's that's what I like is there's something in it for everybody. There's packet radio, the remnants of that uh, technology for networking over the airways. Um, There's just there's satellite communications. I haven't really got involved with that too heavily yet. Uh, but there's there's something for everybody. You don't even have to talk to anybody if you don't want to. <laughs> there you go. As long as you can type. Well, you know, uh, so um, just, I was going to say, uh, years ago, what, the very first uh, amateur demonstration I ever saw of a rig was in Dearborn, Michigan, and the fellow's name was Nelson Cosby, and I can't remember Nels' uh, his call sign right off the bat. 
but he lived in Dearborn, and uh, he made a contact on 20 meters. But he said something really interesting that stuck with me. He said, everybody I talked to, and I think all he ever operated really was 20 meters. Um, 20 meters single sideband. I know he had an old Heathkit Marauder and an SX-101 receiver. Of course, now to me, that looked like the cockpit of a spaceship. You know, I mean, all those knobs and everything. It was incredible. But he said he always made it a practice to ask people what, you know, their their occupation was. And to ask him a couple of questions about their family. But he'd like to know a little bit about their occupation. And I thought that was so interesting. So when you're, you're if you're into rag chewing, why not for the, the sake of the shortwave listeners that we have here, that some who very well might want to get into amateur radio, tell us a little bit about some of the, what you consider to be the most interesting folks that you've run into on amateur radio. It's, it's, it's hard to even find a place to start. Um, I'll, I'll pick some of the, the most recent ones. Uh, I'm 43 years old, so in the hobby, I'm, I'm actually a youngin in the hobby uh, compared to a lot of the, uh, the most active hams anyway. Um, so that's, it's a little unfortunate. It would be nice to get younger people more active on the airways, even though a lot of them do have licenses. They're not on the air as actively. But w- one of the things that fascinates me is running into uh, the people of the World War II generation that are still active in radio. And some of my regular text uh, contacts and digital modes are typing along 60, 70 words a minute. And, of course, in text, you have no idea. That's that's part of the fun of radio in general for me is the mental picture that builds as you're talking to somebody. You, you try to envision who they are or, you know, what their environment might be like. And with text, it removes it even further. You know, the voice, you get some cues, accents, things like that. You might be able to pick up on where they were from originally. But in text, you have no idea who you're talking to. They could be 12 or they could be 80. And uh, most recently, I've run into several ships uh, radio operators that were uh, CW operators and then uh, eventually became RIDI operators, which is radio uh, teletype. So they had, to, they had to learn how to type in an era where only the secretarial pool knew how to type. Uh, so it's unusual to run into men uh, in, you know, 80-year-old range or 80-plus years old sometimes uh, that can type well. And these guys are ripping along 60, 70 words a minute. And the thing that fascinates me is just to find out, you know, what was it like living back then? You know, what was it like? Uh, one of the guys, that I, one of my regulars was on Liberty ships. And uh, I can't even imagine what that must be like, uh, you know, to have been on a Liberty ship during World War II. The, the risk was just tremendous. And uh, just to exchange stories with them from an era that I can't even relate to. It's, it's, it's a page in a history book to me. I have no context for it. And those are the kind of discussions that probably fascinate me the most. And, you know, I run into people. I, I was a sound engineer in the music business. You know, the coincidence, you run into people in radio that did exactly the same thing. You wind up, you know, having been to the same clubs, and you're talking about all around the United States, these little hole-in-the-wall bars, and you both were in the same place. Um, you know, commonalities that you find uh, within people in the hobby are just never cease to amaze me. I'm in the computer business. A lot of hams are in the computer business that I run into. Uh, There's a lot of common threads. You know, either people have done it for work or they've had an interest in it. Um, Radio in general, I think, is a a very strong common thread of sort of uh, like-interested, like-minded people in in a very general way. And I think that's the thing that fascinates me the most is people you would never expect. You'd have, you know, either a topic that they know about or experience they've had that's a deep interest, 
or you run into them that have you know strong common bonds of prior experiences, and you just spark up an instant conversation. Uh, you, you, did you say that you had worked in the music business doing sound? Yeah, that's correct. I was a, a live sound engineer, front of house. Uh, I did monitors as well. Uh, I worked a lot of the local clubs in the New Jersey Shore scene, the home of Springsteen, although I didn't work with him. Uh, and then toured the country with a lot of uh, starting bands as the tour manager and sound engineer. Well, let me ask you a question. When you're working with something like that, how, how did you, how do you feel now that, that, that does amateur radio enter into your interpretation of, uh, of electronics and the way things work and operate? Has it has, has had an influence on you, I guess, is what I'm asking. Uh, I, I would say that I, I kind of went into it backwards. I've always been an electronics tinkerer. Uh, I was always curious about how audio equipment worked, and I, I moved into that for uh, my living. And then I sort of wedged that into ham, uh, ham radio, amateur radio. Uh, I'm talking to you right now with the same setup that I use over the air, and it's a commercial broadcast processor, Symmetrix's uh, 528E voice channel, <laughs> and a condenser mic. Uh, you know, so the first thing I did was, you know, geez, you know, I know I can make myself sound better over the air. Uh, how do I go about doing that? And then I just had to learn how to wedge all my knowledge into a three kilohertz passband, which is the narrow audio bandwidth typical of uh, sideband, uh, to get the job done. So I did a little bit backwards, where I think a lot of hams maybe didn't have any of that background. They sort of dragged that background in as part of the hobby. I'm sort of trying to wedge it in on top of the hobby and how to apply it there. No, oh, I'll tell you what. You know, there's nothing more uh, incredible than walking through that. Uh uh, audio alley at at uh, Dayton where Heil is set up and all those people and they've got all these little mixers and, and they've got uh, equalizers <laughs> different types of microphones and stuff and you hear them on the air I mean there's a lot of guys running AM uh, that really sound incredible I mean you tune those guys in and if, of course if they've got a signal coming in I mean they sound like they're sitting in the room with you and uh, that's um of course, uh, some of the fellows on sideband complain about that, you know. But I, I, I love listening to those AM guys. I absolutely love it. I think it's, uh, I think it's really, really cool. But now you work in the computer business now. Yeah, that was another hobby I turned into a vocation. I, I, uh, I'm a Unix systems administrator, and uh, I started with the Linux operating system because I was flat broke, and uh, I wanted to entertain myself, so I started hacking away at that and uh, turned that into a vocation about 12 years ago or so. So tell me about the implementation of Linux. I mean, what, what part of, how do you use that in, in the business world? I know most of the places that you go into, it's all, you know, it's all Windows. However, uh, web servers and all sorts of things where reliability is needed. I know Linux is used you know, frequently and abundantly in those areas. So what are some of the applications that you're involved in? Well, I'll, I'll start with uh, amateur radio. I use it for controlling all my radios. Uh, I'm looking at the screen right now, and it, it you know looks like anybody else's desktop uh, these days with modern uh, Linux implementations, and they're easy to install. So I highly recommend anyone who's a tinkerer to go out and find any Linux distribution. I, I tend to like Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U, myself. But I use it to run the software-defined radio receiver that uh, I was listening to your broadcast on. I use it to control my other radios. I use it as a modem to do digital mode operations. Uh, it's extremely versatile. Uh, in, the, in the office, in the marketplace, enterprise-wide, 
basically Linux, Solaris, HP, UX, uh, True64, all of these versions of Unix uh, do all of the heavy lifting on the back end of every website you go to. If you go to an ATM machine, it's connecting back over the network uh, to servers that are running some form of Unix. Uh, so I work in the telecommunications industry. And all of the entire infrastructure of the company runs on Linux or Solaris or some other form of Unix, where you know the front end of any of the customer uh, information, the billing information, their account information, uh, all of that is uh, you know done through a browser. But all the thinking, the heavy lifting, every all the processing of the result you're seeing is done by a Unix operating system on the back end. It's kind of nice because Unix means you're not dealing with someone who, uh, you know, wedged their pencil into the keyboard. Uh, you tend to uh, be locked in a room with a bunch of very friendly hardware and fans that are buzzing without having to deal with uh, someone spilling coffee in, into their uh, keyboard. <laughs> That's funny. You know, I'll tell you, though, see, because my, my, my son, uh, Matt, is very heavily involved in running web servers and that sort of thing, of course, now. Uh, you know, he had a he had at one point had a, a room with a rack in it, and I guess probably about eight or nine uh, Linux boxes in there, and some sort of a cluster or something, and uh, uh, constantly, um, you know, making the wisecracks of sending somebody to Dev Null and all that kind of thing. So it's a that's a world all to itself. But I wonder where would we be right now if the entire internet, let's say all the all the websites bank atms everything had to run on windows and where 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 where, do, where would you think we would be right now well really it would open up a whole new marketplace for people who would be born with an extremely stout index finger uh hopefully with about 30 40 times the layers of skin of the average man because it would require people who could run around diligent and, and very dexterously hit the reset button on servers thousands and thousands of servers to reboot them over and over and over again uh which which could be good for people with you know maybe missing the first you know flexible joint and index finger with with skin on the end that's too heavy but i i don't know if there's that many of those people that really need the job so i'm kind of thankful we don't have it well i i was wondering i I thought to myself several times that boy if it weren't for lennox we'd have a mess as far as the internet is concerned uh, just by security the means competition alone. that the the free and open source software community and this even stems uh, this even uh, carries over to people who distribute free software for windows even uh, the competition that the open source free software world provides to keep the other manufacturers sort of in line and to balance the scales of innovation is really really critical and it's something a lot of people I don't think uh, realize unless they're in that ecosystem but the competition of free and open source operating platforms, uh, operating systems, is really critical to drive innovation and to allow people flexibility. Um, on Windows, if you need to do development work, uh, they've recently relaxed it so an individual person can uh, create software finally uh, for free. Uh, but for years, you had to spend seven or eight hundred dollars in, in annual relicensing just to have a compiler to create software. Uh, the open source community, the reason I even got involved, every, all of those tools are free. Uh, you, you get a complete workshop for absolutely free, and it's up to you to build something with it. So they give you, you know, the storage room. They give you, uh, you know, all the tools in the shop, and it's just and the materials to build with, and it's up to you to make something of it. 
Well, I've been watching and following. I know in the broadcast arena, there's a fellow by the name of Fred Gleason that's been developing a Linux-based radio automation system. And uh, it's been uh, watching the development of it come along. And wow, you know, you talk about something stable. I mean, you can really shoot bullets at that thing, and it just keeps running. And uh, Oh, yeah. They're doing a lot in the world of uh, software-defined radio, uh, as a lot of people already know. But one of, the, one of the really powerful things they're doing is coordinating them with time-sync signals uh, to be able to do triangulations, interferometry, all these really super-advanced uh, spectrum-based uh, niche hobbies, so to speak, that w- would never have been within reach of anybody outside of, you know, Fermilab or, you know, the HARP project uh, if Linux wasn't out there, if you didn't have the entire community of open exchange of ideas, uh, you know, mailing lists, reflectors, chat rooms, uh, and then the free software to freely exchange amongst themselves, you wouldn't have this happening. And you, you can take a radio that's, you know, maybe a $1,000 radio, uh, and then if you're clever enough with software, coordinate it with many other users of that radio. You can remotely operate them, set up remote listening posts. You can then link their signals together, uh, like a lot of projects are working on right now. And if you get high enough resolution time between them, you can do amazing things with the spectrum analysis of the data that you gather. And these are just hobbyists. I mean, they're extremely bright hobbyists. Most of them are, you know, PhDs, mathematicians, uh, you know, that, that are highly experienced in this field. It's not the average Joe, but it's still incredible what you can do for a few thousand dollars, uh, you know, when you, when you consider that it would have been millions of dollars of hardware accessible only to government researchers, uh, maybe not even 10 years ago. Now, I'll tell you what. And I've watched development of it of just in, in certain areas. And I'm not familiar with Ubuntu, but I know that uh, Matt has been heavily involved, I think, with Fedora Core. And I don't know what he's working with now. But, uh, but they, you know, I've, I've seen the stability of these machines and, and what they can do. And um, it's, it's amazing. And, and, and to think, too, it's all open source. It's everything. Everyone can participate in it. You've, you can get it to whatever level you want to. And it doesn't represent thousands of dollars of expense in software development packages and things like that. Well, listen. How many times? Yeah. How many times have you ever opened a program and said, "You know, I really hate that this button is over here." Well, with open source, all you have to do is figure out what you're, you know, how to go about it, and you can move that button anywhere you want. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let me ask you this question: Are you are you active in any local amateur radio clubs in your area? I am, actually. The uh, Middletown Amateur Radio Club, Middletown, New Jersey, and I'm also an active uh, member and technical lead for the Middletown Township Racies Group, uh, the Radio Amateur Civil Emergency Services Group. Tell me a little bit about what you guys do before we get off the phone here, because I know this is something folks are interested in, and that's the local radio groups that that uh, form the local communities of Radio Amateur. Oh, absolutely. So if you're interested in becoming a ham and you don't know who to talk to, go to ARRL.org. ARRL.org. Now, who are they? The Amateur Radio (laughs) Relay. I'm just kidding. I'm just having some fun with it. I hope Alan Pitts is listening. He probably just fell off his chair, but go ahead. Okay, so you go to ARRL.org, and they have an index that you can search for your local club, and that's your first step uh, to find out how to get into this hobby. 
The local clubs gather is a social gathering and also to exchange technical information. Uh, our club sponsors testing as well uh, for VE sessions for your uh, exams for amateur radio licensing. And you can you can just save yourself a whole lot of headaches getting into this hobby by finding out who your local hams are and making some introductions. So that's your basic amateur radio club activity is just social exchange of uh, information. We put on presentations to uh, show the members who may not be familiar with different operating modes how to go about it, uh, how to set up equipment. Uh, they're, they're all different kind of clubs. Some are strictly social. Some are deeply technical. Go to ARRL.org and find your local ones and apply to them all. Find out when their meetings are and find the one that's the fit for you. Now, we were. Gracie's, um, that is Radio Amateur Civil Emergency Service, and we basically provide auxiliary communications in times of emergencies, major disasters, uh, and we do things that basically a police department, public safety, fire, emergency services wouldn't want to handle or wouldn't have personnel to handle. So we'll do things like providing uh, road closure information uh, to the utility companies, We'll deal with tickets for the utility companies, power outage reports from the field. Uh, we open emergency shelters for people who were, say, flooded out of their homes, and we check them in and maintain the lists of who's uh, been checked in and transported where. Uh, we help with notifications for families in long-term disasters so they can locate loved ones in areas where communications may be down, no telephone, no cell phone, no Internet. Uh, we have the ability to set up, because we're radio amateur operators, data networks over the radio and uh, through repeater systems, wide area uh, local coverage and then distant coverage through radio uh, to be able to uh, send communications between family members uh, in and outside of a disaster zone. Well, you know, we work very close with uh, with the ARRL, and that's why I, I cracked a joke when you said ARRL. I said, who are they, you know? And uh, we may be hearing from Alan Pitts. Alan is uh, is uh, the public relations manager for the ARRL. And not only is he a good friend, but he's just a, a tremendous advocate of amateur radio. And uh, he and Bill Maureen, who's on the, I guess he heads up the public relations committee and all that kind of thing. Just some really good folks. And boy, I'll tell you, if you're thinking about getting into the hobby, you know, I'll tell you something about the league, and that is, all those books and publications that they put out. Absolutely incredible. And and if you were a kid, young person, and you kind of grew up while looking at QST or seeing QST or getting it, uh, they have now completed that project, and every QST that's ever been published since the history of the league is now available online. And you can search through all those articles and stuff. It's just incredible. It really is. Well, sir, listen, I thank you so much for calling in. Good hearing from you, and uh, you keep listening and hope to talk to you again sometime soon. It's been my pleasure, and great luck with the uh, new station. It sounds great. 7-3 from KC to RGW. And 7-3 to you, too. Give us a call now at 615-547-9520 and share with a huge global radio audience. That's 615-547-9520. And now, back to the QSO Radio Show with Ted Randall. Now it's QSO coming your way on WTWW, Lebanon, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. This is a... A, a, a brand new transmitter launch is what it is, and uh, this machine evidently, well, it hasn't been on the air at all, matter of fact, and especially on this frequency, and uh, this is kind of an introduction, I want to say. By the way, when you when you do call us, 
be also uh, be sure to send us an email. And uh, you can go to the, the website, which is basically qsoradioshow.com. There's a place to click and just put on there, I want to win. Because uh, for listening tonight, we'd like to make sure that you get rewarded. When we do have a drawing, we'll, we'll, we'll have something really nice we'll be giving away to several folks. With me on the telephone is George McClintock, K4BTY. And, uh, we wanna... I don't want to win. You don't want to win? <laughs> because I'm not eligible. Okay. <laughs> Let someone else win. Well, you know, George... Um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of folks that are very, very curious about um, about this radio station. I think maybe you ought to you ought to fill them in, talk a little bit about what's going on here. And uh, well, I'm curious about it also. You are. <laughs> well, what, what do you want to know? <laughs> uh, you know, we're running uh, currently with uh, three transmitters. Uh, one is uh, number two transmitter came on in after number three. I'm sorry I'm on a pain pill because I was supposed to go in for an operation yesterday and the doctor put it off because my health was down slightly, and he's right. I had a bladder infection. He didn't want to do an operation with a bladder infection, so I'm rescheduled for two weeks. But anyway, we uh, put transmitter one on first, then we put on number three. That's kind of backwards. And then now we're putting on number two. And uh, my son and I are out here today one of the things we're doing is uh, laying out number four where it's going to actually fit. And then we've got to leave ourselves open for number five. Uh, it's kind of like the, uh, the, uh, where I was living at before in Memphis, the Jewish Community Center. When it put up its uh, building, it left a door on number three floor, on the third floor. And if you open the the door, which you couldn't because they had it heavily locked, but if you opened it and walked out, you'd be dead because you'd fall three floors. So they prepared for uh, and planned for, you know, additional expansion, and I'm having to do the same thing. It's a little rough and rugged. The uh, frequency, of course, we're all running right now is 9990, and Continental has just left uh, last week. They uh, pronounced everything working correctly. I sure hope it is. I noticed a few minor things we had today that we're having to look at. The nighttime frequency, which we'll be switching, and let me look at my watch in, uh, what, uh, 15 minutes, will go to 5085. It's 5085 or 5.085 megahertz. Take your pick. I got into a discussion with Matthew earlier, and he said, um, he was asking me, I said, well, it depends on where you put the decimal point. I said, if you put it after the first number, then it becomes megahertz. That's correct. And I couldn't get him to, he, he just, you know, I don't understand that. Oh, boy. I don't, I don't. Well, you know, he's got a lot of stuff in the uh, computer world that I don't understand exactly what he's saying either. So everybody nobody under- has their own terminology. Nobody understands what he's saying most of the time. So. <laughs> I understand fully what they mean. Uh, yeah, a five point oh eight five megahertz. Let's convert it to kilohertz. It just becomes five thousand oh eight five kilohertz or five oh eight five kilohertz. Don't try to put that into hertz because then you got to add a bunch of more zeros. That'll really confuse people. Then you tell somebody on there they they got one of these little shortwave radios and they say, "Well, where do I tune?" And they, okay. Tuned to five dot. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because no. that's where that's the way the dial reads. Well, you know, the... those Russians supplied uh, Castro down in Cuba with these radios, and they were in meters. Talk about weird. 
40.35 meters. I mean, my golly, I don't, I, even I have a hard time with that. Well, I remember listening as a as a kid that people would they they'd announce the stations. You know, you're listening to such and such on the 31 meter band. You know, on yeah, the... those are really confusing. That stuff went by the wayside. Fortunately, I'm glad it's gone by the wayside because that that tripped me up a little bit too. I always thought they had a transmitter that had 31 meters on it. Well, those receivers did. <laughs> the ones, uh, and fortunately, uh, those aren't in large quantities anymore. You know, there's no importing of them into Cuba, as far as I know. So uh, I mean, Jeff White from Radio Mammy International, he kept up on all that Cuban stuff and kept me posted. So uh, we have well, to let, 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 one day. Let's kind of go down a road here just a little bit. If if you're if you're in, in uh, feeling well enough to converse with us here, tell uh, tell uh, tell the folks a little bit about how you first got into uh, shortwave radio, then ham radio, and what was it that really just said, hey, I got I got to do this? Backwards. Uh, first came ham radio. But, you know, I listened to shortwave like all hams, so there's, there's a little mingling of shortwave radio broadcasting and ham radio. Uh, of course, like everyone else, I suppose, I say everyone else, I listened to Radio Habana Cuba, and I listened to North Korea, which I thought was interesting because when we had the Pueblo, and uh, you'd always listen in Radio Moscow, you'd be listening to those nine truths and one lie. Boy, the lies were whopper. It was interesting because the uh, announcer for Radio Moscow appeared at a Monitoring Times convention, uh, and he was a speaker. And I was up there, and he and I were side by side on the end of the table waiting our turn to say something. And he and I got into it. I, it wasn't really bad, but from his point of view, it was. You know, I said, you know, you, you knew you were lying when you were announcing on Radio, on Radio uh, Moscow. You knew you were lying. Oh, this tore him all to pieces. Maybe I was a little unfair. I didn't quite, you know, I just saying what I thought. And I said, you know, you affected people worldwide by the things that you said, and they weren't true. Well, he acknowledged the things he said weren't true. But he had a hard time coming to grips. You know, that's a certain road you have to go down. And I, he went down that road. And he and I weren't in a fist fight. We were, we were disrupting the entire meeting. Well, you know, radio is such a powerful weapon. Uh, you know, I'm you, glad you used that word weapon because it was. You know, you, you look, at, look at what it has done for things like the Iron Curtain, uh, things it's accomplished like the Berlin Wall, uh, all made possible by radio. So, I mean... and the, wave, to be more accurate. And, and on top of that, it's like when an announcer gets on the air, or a newscaster gets on the air, and they're doing a story, it, they automatically sound credible. It sounds like the credibility is there, and they could be just... The more powerful the transmitter, the more credibility they have. By the <laughs> way, I'm not out at the transmitter building. I'm in the house here are we still on the air i, I assume so <laughs> but the alarm would be going off if it wasn't well got the alarm. L- let me ask you a question while i'm talking if i say hello hello are the lights dimming a little bit where you're at over there <laughs> no we've got some incredibly uh stable power coming in because the wiring is so uh, awfully big and it's paralleled too everything is paralleled so this re- really keeps the uh, voltage drops to a minimum 
Well, you know, I guess I want to say you, you, you started off in ham radio, but what, what got you into it? What did you know? How did you find your way into amateur radio? Hmm. Well, it was Christian Brothers College. My mother worked there, and uh, they had a ham station. So I went up there, and mind you, the ham station was amplitude modulated. Let's face it, that's the way it was in those days. And I think that that was the uh, impetus to uh, enter the field and, and get a ham license and start uh, studying code. And I've always liked code. There's something magical about it. Your parents don't understand you when you're <laughs> transmitting in code. Isn't this wonderful? <laughs> they can't fit. They don't know what you're saying. Well, I think there's some something to be said for that, too. I'm not sure where we're headed as far as what got me in. I think it's just overall, uh, like a lot of people, uh, you, you, you send a signal, whether it's on CW or whether it's voice or whether it's FM or whatever it is, or amplitude modulated or single sideband, and it goes somewhere. And there's something magical about that. I suppose the uh, computer people today say, you know, I send a, type something in and it goes, goes all around the world, so to speak. Not actually true, but something like that. And they're, they're uh, am, you know, they like that kind of stuff, and I do too. Don't you? I suppose you do too. You, you, you do something and it goes out. Well, you know, I, I guess I want to say I can recall uh, being a novice and, uh, and coming home and, and getting on, on the radio and sending out 75 watts on a crystal control transmitter. Yeah, with 10,000 other people on the phone within one or two kilohertz of you. And hearing that, that, uh, hearing that guy answer you in the, in the, in the, you know, he'll have maybe four or five signals surrounding him, you know, but you're picking up your call sign, you're hearing it, and you make a communication. Yeah, my first guy was Prescott, Arkansas, and the first DX was uh, Finland. Wow. As a novice, oddly enough. And uh, once that happens, it's it's all over. Well, now, okay, you had a, you had a ham license, and uh, you you got into commercial. Where was where did you get into commercial broadcast radio? Where was the first? By the way, I'm, I can't see my watch. Well, what about ten minutes till the top of the hour? Yeah, I'm watching. It's okay. You watch because I got to go out and change the frequency for you. Okay. Yeah, where we got a little a little time yet. First commercial radio job, or was it commercial? Was your first radio job at, at a school or college, or how did you? Carrier, uh, was it Carrier? I guess it was Carrier Current at Christian Brothers College, now that I think about it. Or was that accurate? I don't remember, to tell you the truth. That was just one of the things. Well, I know after you got into the uh, into the broadcasting field professionally, you were involved in radio management and engineering. And sales. And uh, then all of a sudden you decided that it was time to put a shortwave transmitter on. Ah, that was my partner, Fred P. Westenberger out of New Orleans, Louisiana, an attorney. Uh, we were partners on uh, WMQL Memphis. And that was 1480 at that time. And I said, look, uh, why don't we do a shortwave station? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. He didn't know exactly what he was stepping into, but uh, so he said, sure, I'll come up with the money. So he came up with the money, and I did all the work, and that produced WWCR. And I recall uh, the, when I met you was when you had put the first Harris transmitter on the air. SW100. And, uh, and that seemed very remarkable to me that there would be a domestic 
shortwave broadcast facility, you know, in a city like Nashville, Tennessee. And that, well, you know, uh, we had uh, WRNO in New Orleans, and I think that gave uh, everybody, because Mr. Costello, who ultimately died of diabetes because he had his leg cut off and some other stuff, uh, he went and he fought at the FCC level in front of a, a, a judge, a adjudicator, whatever it was, and they ruled that the FCC had to give him a license, and I thought that was pretty impressive. So he kind of uh, punched a hole into things. Of course, we had two other stations, but one of them was bought out by the Voice of America, became the Voice of America and some other stuff like that. But he really punched a hole. When he did that, that opened the floodgate. Mind you, the floodgate of licensing stations here in the United States wasn't very many, but... Three or four came on, and that was, you know, that's a floodgate. Just wham, the floods were open, and there they came in. And so I joined part of that as uh, I applied. Uh, even before WRNO, I had applied for a shortwave, but they uh, said that there was no availability for shortwave stations because it was a band on it from World War II. So I, my application just sat there and died. And then along came uh, Mr. Costello, who didn't take no for an answer, and he went after him, and that's kind of opened things up. So he kind of he, he kind of paved the road at that point. Yeah, he did. I was rather surprised and um, uh, impressed with um, him doing that. Unfortunately, I had no idea that he was just about to kill himself. You know, no offense to him, but diabetes. It wasn't well understood. And then, lo and behold, I caught diabetes from him, so to speak. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a slight minor joke. But, uh, yeah, I ended up with diabetes myself, but I watch it now. So I haven't lost any legs, arms. I did lose an eye before I realized that I had diabetes. I had it my entire life. I just didn't know anything about it, and the doctors didn't seem to know much about it either. Well, you know, I guess at that time, though, for for him, uh, putting that station on the air was kind of, I would imagine that would have been a little rough, because uh, did they not try to go totally 100% like music, rock and roll, and things like that with it? And, and, and... He just couldn't make any money at it. That was a problem. He had a Harris, uh, seems to be, yeah, it was the SW100, I think, is what he had. But if his was the 100, I think the 100, not the A or the B. The A and the B had some major... Uh, modifications which were quite good, but the Harris SW100 really wasn't all that great. Well, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to tell tales, but a lot of folks don't realize what goes on behind the scenes with a shortwave station. I mean, you see the magic of the the emails coming in, and you know the 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 signal can travel just tremendous miles and get into places of the earth where <laughs> nobody goes, you know, other than uh, oh, no, you're correct, up into mountainous areas, uh, Tibet, uh, other places like that. And uh, I had uh, a number of things at WTWW, but there was one in particular at WWCR uh, when I was managing that that was kind of interesting. Uh, we had a fellow who, it, I think it was Nicaragua or was it Guatemala? I can't remember which. I have to stop and think about it a long period of time. But he said he traveled for three months to get in a position where he could uh, send me a letter and thank me because he listened to it. Uh, he was out there in the jungles. So it took him three months to get in a position where he could uh, send me a letter, and he did. 
I had one from Kuwait, which I thought was interesting, because we were able to carry at WWCR, we were able to carry the um, presidential press conferences live. So when Kuwait City was liberated, uh, the an individual uh, called me on the telephone and thanked me for carrying the presidential press conferences because the Voice of America really couldn't change its schedule that fast, whereas I could you know, instantly go to the presidential press conferences live, and the Voice of America was, was stymied. And after a couple of months, they figured out they had to do it, so they were dumping some of their programming. You know, it's a little bureaucracy that uh, I didn't have that the Voice of America did. Um, but well, I guess what I was saying is the the operation of a shortwave radio station exceeds the cost, I guess I want to say, from the standpoint of hardware and electricity of any commercial broadcast station. Oh, yeah, you got got 100,000 watts you got to deal with, and you got to generate it, and you gotta, somebody's got to pay for the electricity. And this is always a problem. The listeners don't quite, quite understand. And so, therefore, they want their music, be it uh, rock and roll, be it album-oriented rock, be it country. Uh, it could even be Dixieland, and they all want these things, but somebody's got to pay for it, and therein lies the problem. Uh, typically now, not telling any tales, but... Typically, what can an electric bill run on one single transmitter? Oh, in excess of ten thousand per ten thousand dollars a month. I just I just want folks to understand that because I know a lot of people will ask me, "Well, how come you guys don't do this or how come you don't do that?" Well, every time you turn that transmitter on, you know, <laughs> there's there, there's a like a cab taxi cab meter running with dollars and cents attached to it, you know, and it costs a lot of money to do that sort of thing. Well, I'm standing in front of the transmitter right now with a slight digital delay. Uh, so we are just about ready to make that frequency change. What, we're about, about one minute away? or where We can make it when we want to because we have program, we have the ability from the FCC to test these frequencies any way we want to. So whenever you're ready, um, I can do it. All right, well, why don't you do this, George? Why don't you go ahead and make the announcement, tell us the frequency we're going to. And I will start a song, and uh, when you make the change, the folks will hear us drop out, and they can simply tune the uh, radio until they find the song that we're playing. Well, we've got a digital delay, so let me say that uh, in one minute we'll make it or thereabouts. That about sounds reasonable. Okay. Okay. So we're going to make it. Why don't you start your music? But you've got a digital delay of at least 30 seconds or more. Oh, yeah, at least that. But what I was going to say is... Uh, why don't you go ahead and make the announcement? Tell the folks okay, where to Okay, we're going to move to 5085. Now, if you're in megahertz, that's 5.085. If you're in kilohertz, it's all the same thing. All right. Uh, we've got to get this up. 5085 kilohertz. All right. So, um, start your music, and here we go. This is WTWW. Okay. This is WTWW, and this is only a test, and you're listening on frequency 5085 kilohertz. You are invited to share the magic of HF broadcasting and amateur radio to a worldwide listening audience. Welcome. This is the QSO Radio Show. Give us a call now at 615-547-9520 and share with a huge global radio audience. That's 615-547-9520. And now, the QSO Radio Show with Ted Randall. 
Well, we are back, and uh, I guess <laughs> we had a we had a little shaky, like uh, a shaky uh, frequency change there going on. I got a fellow on the oh, phone. It's with been me. pretty solid for a while. Been solid for a while. Who am I speaking to? This is Dave Paperman, W5WP. And where are you at? Oh, uh, I'm, no, I'm about 20 miles past nowhere. I'm about 45 air miles north of Houston. About 45 air miles north of Houston. and yeah, I'm in a totally unincorporated area. Okay. <laughs> oh, are, you, are you a ham? Oh, let me turn this down. That 15-second delay is going to drive me nuts. Oh, I imagine it would, yeah. Especially if you're trying to if you try to talk while you're you're coming back delayed, you know. Yeah, and I confuse easily at my age. So, <laughs> so are you are you a radio amateur? Oh yeah, I'm, my call sign is W5WP or Whiskey Five Whiskey Papa. Okay. A DX Hound too. A DX Hound. All right. So. Right. So now, my see. Primary love. Well, right now you're modulating a hundred thousand watts of, uh, of of carrier. Yeah, continental transmitter. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I did a little research before I came on. I imagine you're being heard in a lot of places. So, you know, that's what's so fascinating about this is you just never you don't know where you have absolutely not a clue as to where this signal is actually going. No way to tell. You know because. Oh, you're absolutely. There's places on the planet that this is going, and people are listening, but they don't have the ability to communicate back. You know, so it's, uh, it, it, you know, we want to say hello to them and thank you for for joining us. We we really appreciate your company there. Well, tell me a little bit about your ham radio uh, situation. Um, well, how long you've been in the hobby? What got you into it? Okay, uh, I was first licensed in '61. I had my first contact with it when I was in uh, in parochial school in New York as a child, but I didn't get involved in the hobby. One of my uh, one of my science teachers was a ham, and he brought his home built. At that time, it was five and a half meters. We didn't have six meter band, uh, and uh, it fascinated me. But really, there was not much I could do at that age. Well, I uh, did a lot of commercial work and. I was interested in doing development work in the VHF, UHF frequencies. And every time you wanted to do development work, you had to fill out about a ream of paper for the FCC for experimental work. And one day I walked into one of the FCC offices and ran into an acquaintance of mine who had been on loan uh, by the FCC to, to the Nation of Israel to set up their FCC. And he asked me what I was doing there, and I told him, and he said, uh, hey, uh, you need to think a little bit. Why don't you just get a ham license, and uh, you can work in adjacent frequencies with the same results and not have to go through all this madness each time. And, you know, a big light came out of my head, and I studied for about a week and got my technician, which was the starting class of life. Well, that's not true. It was the second step up. The first step up was the novice license, which I didn't go for. I went directly for the technician's license. So I really didn't get into amateur radio to get into amateur radio. I got in to use it as an experimental license. A little bit different than most. And what From was there, the... I, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say what... What happened next? Is what I was, I was gonna oh, ask. okay. Well, I stayed a technician for many years because I, I 
really was, I was doing a lot of HF. Actually, my first part-time job I had in high school was at uh, WGSM, the world's great, greatest suburban market, sunrise to sunset, Huntington, Long Island. And I was like fourth assistant engineer. It was more of a joke. But it was fun and watching those transmitters. <laughs> anyway, uh, going on after I became a ham, I stayed a technician for 23 years because, as I said, VHF, UHF experimenting, uh, interested me more than anything and I was doing sideband and long distance HF radio for my commercial clients so you know I really wasn't particularly interested in, uh, in that when the uh, oil patch started collapsing in 82 I stopped doing overseas work and I found myself losing my languages I'm multilingual so I figured, well, there's only one way I'm going to keep those languages up, and I went through the next three steps to get my extra class, and uh, once I did that, I got hooked on DXing. And so now, what what is your, what do you do now, primarily? Well, other than experiment with antennas and do some engineering work uh, for a few clients that I still have. I'm retired, actually. I'm 75. Uh, other than doing that, I contest occasionally. We have radio contests. See how many stations you can work in a given amount of time and exchange specific information. Uh, I've done pretty well with those. I have more than a basic station here. Uh, and um, also DXing. I've reached the top of the honor roll, which means that I've worked every entity. And that's the new term, by the way, for countries. Because there are many... DX entities that are not separate countries, for example, uh, Alaska and Hawaii are states, but under the rules, Alaska is separated by a third entity, which is Canada, and Hawaii's more than 175 miles or whatever it is, kilometers now, you know, away from the mainland. So both of those constitute uh, separate entities. What, uh, what are your favorite bands for operating right now? Well, I can tell you my two most challenging ones. I, I have no favorites. I go where the DX is and where the propagation is. Uh, serious enough to where I took an online course at the University of Lethbridge in Canada on propagation some years ago. So, you know, I go in there and uh, I look for where the DX is, what I would like to work, what I need to work, and make a contact with and confirm it. And... Uh, the two challenge bands for me is the 160-meter band, the 1.8 megahertz band, and uh, the 6-meter band, 50 megahertz. 50 megahertz is very unpredictable, and 160, especially in the summertime, competes with all the noise in the world. So between the two, uh, it, keep, it, it keeps my interest up just there. But as far as the other bands that we have available, it depends on who's out there, what time they're out there. I really have no favorites. Well, and I, I wondered, you know, of course, 160 takes such uh, huge antennas. I mean, you really got to have some real estate in order to get on 160, do you not? That's why I live where I live. I'm on 15 acres here. <laughs> well, that makes you, fi- you figured it out. <laughs> I throw iron pills in the ground and grow towers. There you go. <laughs> well, um, in in terms of your um, your location there, you see you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. 
do you, are you active with a local club in your area at all? Uh, there's not a club in this area. I'm very active with ARIES, the Amateur Radio Emergency Service. I have had several positions in it, and now I've dropped back just to being a member. Uh, and uh, there's a group here that, uh, in fact, they're the ones who sent out the email about the station. Uh, Tommy Hayes did, November 5, Papa Juliet Yankee, and uh, there's a group called County Amateur Radio Enthusiasts. It's sort of loosely organized. It's not a formal club. It's, uh, but they're they're very active. In fact, we just had a transmitter hunt. Uh, I, unfortunately, I couldn't make it, but uh, they had a fox hunt, transmitter hunt, uh, last Saturday, last Saturday, Saturday before last. Now that's uh, that, that's always good. Now, of course, now if you're you're kind of out in the sticks, you know, away, you probably don't get to go to to club meetings and things like that because unless you you know drive into the city and that's a you know that's uh, that can be quite a chore um and and whatnot but i we um I, are you are you a, a league member are you in with the uh, as far as um uh you know with the arl and getting qst every month and kind of following what goes along there Oh yeah, I've been a life member since 1984. So you are a life member. So that's uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I always I like to find out when I talk to folks. Uh, there's a lot of folks that uh, uh, work with the league in different capacities. In other words, they're some people are involved in in, in one of the section positions, or they're uh, uh, involved in ARES or or, or Skywarn or something. You know, and they're affiliated somehow. With, and it's always interesting because there's so many different hats and so many different roads they can go down uh, as part of participating in the amateur radio service. So oh, I always I always like to ask. Well, sir, I really appreciate your, uh, your phone call. I appreciate you calling us and uh, communicating with us and talking to us about the hobby. And so glad you're listening to us. And know that we're getting into, into the, the great state of Texas. And, oh, uh, you're you're believe me, it's it's sixty over nine. <laughs> oh, goodness, <laughs> on the S meter, yeah, you're strong on most of my antennas, most of my uh, lower frequency antennas. By the way, what antennas are y'all using? The the AR the AR the FCC website was very vague on that. Okay, well, it's uh, the transmitter is a hundred thousand watt Continental. No, I know that. Yeah, and the the antenna is a is a full size rhombic, uh, and of course. Um, well, you're familiar with rhombic antennas, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, I almost have one ready to go up here. So, they're 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 wonderful because they give you such a good uh, low takeoff angle. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of advantages to rhombic antennas, and uh, of course, now in shortwave broadcasting, there's all kinds of things. There's uh, there's there's curtain antennas, there's log yeah. periodics, and all kinds of different uh, things that people use. But uh, so far, boy, I'll tell you what, I've been very impressed with the with the uh, the results of, of them using the rhombics here at WTWW, and I've seen them in the past too. So they they do very well. They they really do. Yeah, it's got it's got good dispersion because I've been looking at a variety of different antennas. None of them really cut for your frequencies, of course. Mm. And uh, your signal level holds up through most of them, whether they're slopers, verticals, or so. There's good dispersion on that rhombic. Well, thank you so much. You have a good evening, and look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Well, hopefully. <laughs> okay. Good luck. Good luck with the station. All right. Good luck with the program. And 73. 
This is WTWW, and this is only a test. And you're listening on frequency 5085 kilohertz. You are invited to share the magic of HF broadcasting and amateur radio to a worldwide listening audience. Welcome. This is the QSO Radio Show. Give us a call now at 615-547-9520 and share with a huge global radio audience. That's 615-547-9520. And now, the QSO Radio Show with Ted Randall. You know, this uh, this business about ham radio is uh, such an incredible hobby. And so if you're listening out there, you've got a story to tell. Uh, you're part of a club or a group or an organization, and you're involved in this hobby. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want you to give us a call and uh, tell us all about yourself and tell us what you're doing. Now, hello there. We've got someone on the phone. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, fine. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing real good, sir. And and where are you located? I'm located in Tyler, Texas. Uh, my name is Willie Clark, and my call is AE5OX. Okay, Willie, and uh, how long have you been into ham radio? Uh, approximately three years uh, this past October. Well, very good. What, what about the hobby are you into? What do you find uh, the most fascinating about it? Everything about it, because uh, yeah, a lot of things are experimental to me. It's new to me. I enjoy the uh, contact, uh, being able to contact people uh, various all over the world, all over the nation. I enjoy just uh, the, the it's a fraternity of its own. I enjoy the brotherhood of all the other operators. It's truly different. It's different than anything I've belonged to before. I'm with the Tyler Amateur Radio Club, and we do a lot of various things to help people, to help other people that's interested in the hobby to uh, get them licensed. Uh, also, I enjoy on the Sky One. Uh, whenever we have an emergency throughout, uh, various storms come through, uh, any type of emergency situation, and just... Uh, Plus, to me, I was in communications electronics military, but this is a lot different because uh, I can let my hair down and just uh, do various different things that I haven't been able to do before. Uh, radio, like CB and things like that. What, uh, what, what bands do you operate or what part of, uh, of ham radio do you participate in operation-wise? Well, mainly I operate on 80 meters, uh, 80, 75, 40 meters, 20 meters, 10 meters, uh, 15 occasionally. I am active on 2 meters and uh, 70 centimeters, which is 440. I, uh, I enjoy those bands for right now. I am also an extra class amateur. I was, uh, what you call a three-week wonder. From the time I got my license, I went from nothing to extra class in three weeks. In three weeks? Yes, sir. How much studying did you do? I did quite a bit of studying, but a lot of the things came naturally because I was communications electronics military. But uh, I just uh, read through everything and refreshed myself and... uh, it takes a little bit of study, not a well. It all depends on the individual. 
but I did do quite a bit of studying. I actually studied mostly for the technician test, and the rest of it just pretty well came natural. I ran through it. I ran through it maybe once or twice. Well, with that background, it, it definitely helps. But still in all, the uh, the question pool for the extra class license is is unique, and uh, you, you, you have to be prepared for it. That's not something you can just sit down and take the test, even if you have a great background in electronics. There's a lot of stuff on that test that uh, is unusual and unique to, to amateur radio. Yes, it is. It takes quite a bit of study. You, you can't just sit down and uh, go through it, but although there have been others, uh, to have a basic in electronic health. But you do do quite a bit of studying for it. Now, a lot of the questions out there are different. You first must know the Parts 97 rules and regulations. You must know that. must know the bands and what capabilities you have, uh, places you can operate. It's quite a bit of things, but anybody can do it. If I can pass it, anybody can pass it. <laughs> okay. Because I don't consider myself as a rocket scientist. And it's just, uh, <laughs> you have to have a love for the hobby, for one thing. It's basically like anything else. If you really enjoy doing something, you prepare yourself for it. And once you prepare yourself, you apply yourself. And that's the main thing is application. So uh, you are you are listening to us in Tyler, Texas. And I, I, tell you, I take it we have a, a, a listenable signal there. Oh, it's awesome. We got a 5-9 signal coming in. And it's crystal clear. So I have no problem hearing you. Well, I appreciate you calling us. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time to listen and to dial in and to talk about the hobby. We really appreciate that a whole bunch. And I, I, I want to say I, I hope I get a chance to meet up with you again on the band sometime. Looking forward to it. Are you an amateur yourself? Or yeah. are you just, uh... No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm an amateur. Call us WB8PUM. And, I'll be uh, looking forward to meeting you on air. So uh, where do you normally operate? You know, when I have the opportunity to operate, I'm generally on 40 or on 80. Uh, don't do much VHF or, or UHF work. It just, uh, a lot of it has to do with time. But uh, I think one thing that I like about 80 meters is you uh, you make friends with people. And that mm-hmm. those friendships stretch out over a number of years. And you can flip a radio on, and you maybe haven't had it on, or five, maybe two or three years you haven't been on, and all of a sudden... There's this whole group of people that you know, you know, and you can uh, sit and rag chew with them, that sort of thing. I, that, that's, uh, and I guess that's the part I like really uh, the best about the hobby. And then we got into producing this radio show, the QSO show. And mm-hmm. uh, if you haven't had a chance to go check out the website, it's just qsoradioshow.com. And uh, we've got a lot of interesting guests. We broadcast from... Um, uh, from Huntsville usually every year, as well as from the, the Dayton Hamvention. We do a complete mm-hmm. live broadcast from both of those those locations. And, of course, we air on WTWW on 9480 on Saturday afternoons at uh, at 1 p.m. So we, we're, you know, and that takes a little time doing all this. <laughs> it really does. But uh, the more I do, the more I like it because I, there's just... You know, amateur radio is just full of fascinating people. Some of the most interesting people in the world are, are hams. And right. um, 
It's it's just an unusual hobby. Well, thank you so much. You have a good evening, sir. Okay. Let me say this before I go, and I pleasure meeting you, and I look for you down the bench. I wanted to say this. Uh, three gentlemen that really encouraged me to become a radio operator was Gary Newman, N5XTV, Rosh Roche, uh, WJ5Z, and Glenn Noble, which is uh, N5XGS. Those three guys are the ones that encouraged me to get a license and to get on the band, and we've had fun ever since. All right, it's a pleasure meeting you. Thank you, and have a good day. There you go. And, that, and that, you know, that's so important for folks to uh, get involved mentoring other people and getting them into the hobby. It's, uh, it's important. This is the QSO Radio Show. This is WTWW. I'm Ted Randall, and thank you for listening, spending your evening with us.